if you were brought up a certain way mm -hmm. and then you're told that something is different, it's very hard for you to get to let go of that tradition, even, even when it's biblically substantiated. And, and so uh, for people, you know, I grew up hearing this and knowing this and having the creeds, but for others who haven't, that's hard to, uh, to change your thinking and, and accept that. And yes, you can say by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going, I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about, say, what a Baptist has been taught from their birth and what a Lutheran has been taught from their birth and trying to change that focus. Yeah, and, and I, I don't I don't see it as you know really I, I'm I'm saying it, it's it's not about us changing people but speaking the truth you know and, and one of the yeah but they have to they have well, to believe it not yes yes and I, I I think that's where you know we have wondrous opportunity because because what we believe teaching best is is squarely from scripture right so. Um, and, and that, that's part of the process, too, in, in terms of distinguishing, okay, how does one who is, you know, for, I, for, I, for example, I mentioned the Mormons, right? And they speak about feeling the burning bosom, right? Um, well, it could be indigestion, okay, as mentioned. Um, but I, but I, I think uh, more, deeply, more deeply than that is this, is this belief, is this idea, is this understanding is this uh, way of getting at the truth based on feeling and experience, which fluctuates, right? Um, whereas if something, is, you know, if it's founded on scripture and scripture alone, I, I think there is going to be a huge transition from one who has been taught, for example, you know, by the pastor. Well, we believe what the Bible teaches, but then what they say the Bible teaches is not what the Bible actually teaches, right? Because they're going by what they think reasonably, you know, and, and the like. But but I, I think it can be extremely helpful to to you know make that you know distinction ever clearer in terms of saying okay well you know if someone says for example that well you know I, I guess uh, <clears throat> you know take take for example the the, the uh, you know the position that that states that God could not have created the world in six days well why not what do you base that what do you base that proposition on. Uh, because when you look at scripture, of course, if you wanted to do it in less than six days, he could have, right? If you wanted to take longer, you know, for the sake of argument, just based on what the Bible teaches about God and who God is, what he is able to do, what he, you know, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so just, uh, you know, continuing to make that distinction between, okay, um, you know, why this, why not that? Um, if you know, if, if someone says, for example, and I, I've said this uh, a number of times, likely already, I'm forgiven whether or not I feel forgiven or not. Um, which, and and how can I say that, you know, with 100% certainty? Because God Himself says it. You know, and 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 it's really sad because uh, you know there's so many. Um, that, that kind of go along with this idea that, well, I have to make amends, I have to do this, I have to do this. Um, I have to try to keep myself in the faith, 
and I have to pray, I have to read, I have to study, I have to go to church, I have to do blah, da 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 da, you know, fill in the blanks with whatever. Um, but it becomes clear that if one is in that that way of thinking, that mode, um, what are they basing their salvation on? Even if they don't think that, why am I doing all this stuff? That I have decided to follow Jesus. Yeah, and I've got to, I've, you know, and, and I think it's, it's, it might not be, in every case, it's not always trying to prove to God, but trying to prove to oneself. Does that make sense? You know, so some people are so busy bodies doing this and this and this, not because... Uh, they might say that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they're doing X, Y, and Z because inside they, they see something lacking and they want to fill in the gap mm -hmm. rather than recognizing, like what Jesus says, you know, um, you know, uh, in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, you know, come to me, all you who labor under heavy laden, I will give you rest. We want to kind of keep that for ourselves, you know, um, but yeah. Uh we're talking about the descent to hell. I'm sorry I brought that up, but I, I always found it sometimes is a little bit of a uh, somewhat of an issue of story yeah. because it only appears in the Apostles' Creed. Right. But I think in my studies, not so much the history of the creed, but in the context of Scripture, yeah. as you pointed out earlier, you know it's dangerous to build a whole doctrine on one verse. But you know I've got five other verses listed. There are other verses in the Bible that complement this doctrine. Yeah. Right. And I, I know that liturgically speaking, you know, we used to actually have on the Christian calendar in Holy Week something called Holy Saturday, which was between Good Friday right. and Easter yeah. Sunday. Right. And that is this concept that Christ went to hell and back for us, so to speak, and not hell to suffer. Right. He suffered on the cross right. through the Father's rejection. Yeah. That was the hell of wrath and mm -hmm. suffering. But yeah. his journey to hell and back was to complete the, the assignment he was given. And I kind of use, a, I've done this before, I've talked about, you know, after the two bombs were dropped in Japan, basically the war was over. They even surrendered. But there was that need for what stands out in the minds of people who know history is the battleship Missouri. And there, General MacArthur is sitting at that table, and the Japanese representatives come there and have to sign a treaty of unconditional surrender. And that ceremony seals it. That's how I see Holy Saturday. It's like, you know, Jesus goes even to the depths of hell, not to suffer, but to proclaim to the devil and all his minions, right. your beat. Right. And that, to me, spells victory. That he, he did it, not us, but he did the victory. He accomplished right. it. And I think, you know, because I think ultimately if we say it's part of the creed, well, is this essential for us to believe for our salvation? That's the ultimate question when you talk about the elements yeah. of the creed. And I think, yes, it is. Yeah. To understand that, that when he says he did it once and for all, that includes going to hell and back for us. Yeah. Accomplishing it completely. Yeah. Nothing the is word they used for hell is shell, which is just the land of the dead. Mm -hmm. And so you had the Old Testament saints, those who never knew the name of Jesus, they knew Jesus was coming. The Old Testament mm -hmm. is nothing but 
you know, for, you know, oh yeah, prophecy that that Jesus will come mm -hmm. and go to the land of the dead, to the realm of the dead, to tell the Old Testament saints that their faith has been confirmed mm -hmm. and everything that they lived and died for has come true. That's what I always thought when Jesus went there was to bring the good news to the Old Testament saints. Might be both and. The Catholic Church teaches everybody who died in believing before Jesus came, they couldn't go to heaven because Jesus hadn't come yet. So that was the early version of limbo. And that's where Jesus went to free them and take them to heaven. So I was trying to not go there. But, you know, it kind of... Yeah. It, it's a psychological development from what Will said over here because they yeah. they couldn't square that in their mind that people could go to heaven if they hadn't known Jesus and been baptized and all that. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and it's it's amazing when you know you, you start looking more closely at the Old Testament uh, and and you find that uh, you know belief in the resurrection, belief in you know belief in the afterlife. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not, uh, you know, we kind of have this idea that, okay, they, they were kind of sleeping until, you know, Christ came kind of thing. But but the, the transfiguration account is another reminder, yeah. you know, with, with Elijah and Moses, who both appear, you know, with Jesus. Yeah. Was there another comment? That God is the God of the living. God yeah. Of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exactly. Not that they're, yeah. you know, kind of kept in some holy place. Right. But yeah. they actually are in in glory, just right. as Lazarus who died and was right. taken by the angels right. in the presence of Abraham, in the presence of God. Yeah. So the people of the Old Testament were not just like held in some kind of purgatory. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you're uh, if you're here tonight, you might hear this because the text is from Genesis 22. Uh, the uh, you know God's command to Abraham, or God's test of Abraham. Know, to slay, to offer his own son Isaac, the son of promises, you know, for a sacrifice. And you know what, what, uh, you know what, what Hebrew writes about that, and then also uh, Paul and Romans, and, and the like, believing that Abraham actually believed that God could raise him from the dead. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely, right. You know, and that that uh, of course that's Paul, but he's speaking of Abraham, and Abraham believed that. You know, uh, but that does not mean. As some would say, well, then it was Abraham for easily to do what God called him to do. You know. Um, I don't think so. No, it, it wasn't. Um, but but we see the the uh, the. I don't want to use the word intensity or sincerity, but 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 the you know the certainty of his confidence in God that he would do what he said he would do. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it, it's just phenomenal uh, looking at that. But it's all there, and then. And then you have the accounts of uh, Elisha, and before that Elijah raising the dead sons, you know, to life and and, and the like. Uh, but but that promise of a Messiah, that promise of restoration, that promise of renewal, uh, that promise of life, you know, given to God's people. And and that's why even even the phrase like when David died, when Abraham died, they rested with their fathers. I mean that that begins to stand out. Uh, you know, quite a bit. It's not just that they died. Well, one interesting point about uh, the Aboriginal American population when I was a kid, we called them Inches. Um, 
and it's amazing, in North America, I don't know about Central and South, but in North America, almost every tribe um, had two uh, theological views in common with each other. And it's like Comanches, they had no belief in a, in a God. They had no belief whatsoever in a creator. You know, they had their own myths of creation, things like that. But what they had in common with every other tribe in North America was an afterlife. They all believed in an afterlife. And the second thing, almost every North American tribe would tell the, the oral history that their forefathers had survived the massive flood in a large boat with animals, mm -hmm. and that they had been chosen out of all the world to live. And so you've got those two things they have in common in the North American Indian. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of a universal thing. I mean, I, I'm thinking like even, even Asian religions, uh, they might call it differently, but like even reincarnation is the belief in afterlife, mm -hmm. right? Um, in Buddhism and Hinduism and, and so on and so forth. Um, and of course, you know, um, generally speaking, and I, I think we spoke of this recently too, but generally speaking, we can say, yeah, there's, there's, there's uh, you know, similar ideas with reference to the words that are used, like, you know, afterlife or resurrection or whatever. Um, even the word God, you know, um, now, but but that's as far as the, you know, similarity goes because once you begin delineating those, there's so much variety, you know, and, and the like. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's really interesting because I, I think all religions except the Christian faith uh, teaches not not uh, what God does for us in Christ freely by His grace, but rather what we do for God. You know, so in other words. We, you know, in, in, in all world religions, all religions other than Christianity teach, and, and this is where we, we also make distinction, even if a Christian, even among those who call themselves Christians, they are not always consistent with this um, in their teaching, and that is uh, the Bible does not teach that we, of course, climb our way into heaven, right? It's all what God does in Christ Jesus. Any any Christian religion or a Christian congregation, whatever, uh, that that uh, that muddies that is not teaching what Christianity teaches. And I, I think that's what it makes it so hard, because especially in our day, our day of tolerance, we want we, we want to say, I, I think generally speaking, Christians, you know, want to uh, speak kindly of one another and and different fellowships and say. We all agree on the same thing, but once you start talking, you find that's not the case at all, right? Um, and, you know, for example, maybe I, I mentioned this, but the Salvation Army, you know that's a religion, religious organization, right? And I, I received an email just the other day from, I, I forget what his title, lieutenant or whatever, you know, um, from the uh, Ministerial Association. And I almost wanted to respond to that because he said some things, that I, and I guess, you know, they're asking for bell ringers. And I, I guess you don't have to be a member anymore. Well, I guess you never really had to be a member to do something like that. But that's representing a church body. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. They don't advertise it as such. Because um, if I say Salvation Army, what do you think? 
charity, helping people out, and so on and so forth. But there's an entire theology behind what they do. They deny the efficacy of the sacraments. Mm -hmm. They do not practice baptism no. or the Lord's Supper. I know that when I lived in Alma Gordo, I had to work with disabled people, and we had some of them that loved reading yeah. the veil. Um, yeah. But I always thought it was just charity in it. No, yeah, and, and most people do. You know, and, and, and the ones that ring the bell just thought the same thing, or their parents probably wouldn't have let them ring the bell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, anymore, especially with COVID. You know, I, I think the plea was, you know, in, in this one particular email, if you know of anyone that can volunteer and help, you know, do this. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not saying don't do that, but, but I, I think it's incumbent upon us to be aware that this is a religious organization. Um, I'm not saying that what they do is not good and so on and so forth, but uh, but just something to be aware of. Um, because we, we, we kind of have lost sight, you know, doctrinal distinctions do matter. You know, and it's not just, you know, like another another common theme today, I think among many, is deeds, not creeds. I mean, that was from, you know, decades ago, but I think it's still alive and well. You know, I remember reading about Rick Warren from Purpose Driven Life who had, who had once said, you know, God wants a new reformation. Deeds, not creeds. You know, and, and you know, he's expressing what is along the same lines as what many others express concerning Luther. He didn't go far enough. What they're saying, however, is it's not really about doctrine. Um, but what does that say then about salvation? If it's not about doctrine, what is it about? It's no, about emphasis on us. Yeah. Yeah, which, by the way, I'm going to say something profound. That's not Christian. <laughs> and this is how serious it is. But but do we but do we see this? Do we recognize? Well, you know, you we are expected, you know, to produce the fruits of our salvation, the fruits of our redemption. But you know, it's not like you do enough of those fruits and you're going to work your way into heaven. Yeah which is one of the great heresies that a lot of churches give. But, you know, uh, we do a lot of good things in this church in a lot of different ways, and it's yeah. just the fruits of our salvation. And, and included in those fruits, uh, of course, are not only what the congregation does as a whole, uh, and, and, and namely, you know, kind of starting from the top, the preaching of the word, the reception of the, the administration of the sacraments, what we do as a congregation in terms of helping the community, but also individually. You know, before God, even even caring for that needy child is a good work in the sight of God. It, it, it's a fruit of faith, right? And um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm you know becoming more aware that uh, that it's it's not so much the external, and that's what we look for, the external signs. But what about the motive, the reason for doing that? Um, that, that's, uh, you know, that's also and especially what God looks at, you know. Um, one could be doing the right thing, but for the wrong reasons, and therefore it's wrong. One could be doing the wrong thing for the right reasons, and it's still wrong. Um, simply because one is not doing that, you know, we could do the wrong things, you know, with good intention. It doesn't make it right, though. Um, and... Uh, you know, so so you know, we make distinctions, and we want to make distinctions where God Himself makes distinctions. Um, and I, I've often 
you know, thought of this and, and run into this too, but you know, often how we define good works, I think, and I think broadly in Christendom, how good works are defined varies greatly sometimes from what God himself defines as a good work. You know, um, we, we look at the, the glittery, I mean, I, I hear of, you know, Hollywood stars, for example, having these, maybe you've heard of this too, these banquets and they raise millions of dollars and that's, oh, you know, that's, I wish we could do that, um, you know, kind of thing, but why are they doing it? You know, and, and giving something to get something and, and, and everything, that's not, you know, the, the world will look at that and say, yeah, they're doing a great, great job there. You know, of course, you only have like, what, nine or 10% that go to the needy. Um, yeah, I'm, that might be an exaggeration, um, but but the Christian who who does what God has given them to do doesn't doesn't uh, isn't about uh, you know the bright lights and the bells. Um, no pun intended with reference to Salvation Army. Okay, um, but we, we aren't about okay. Look at what I'm doing, world. You know, if a baby needs a diaper changed, what do you do? You change the diaper. And, and before God, that's actually a good work because you're not doing it. You're not doing that, you know, uh, you know, for the sake of gaining any favor with God. But God has called you to do that, and and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's already been done, so you are freed up, so to speak, you know, to serve your neighbor as they have need to be served. Um, very different um, in in different fellowships with regard. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And it becomes a burden because it is a burden. And it's one that you can never meet, right? I mean, the bar is so high, you got to, you know, the idea is you have to keep climbing uh, to reach the bar. Uh, and, and what does that do except move you to despair or self-righteousness, as our Lutheran forebearers had, uh, had commented, um, rather than simply uh, taking hold of Christ and saying, he's done it for me. All is well. And, and rather, all the more, then, does that propel us as God's people to desire to do what God says, to love his word, to love his promises, and to take heart in what he himself says and has said concerning us. Um, and, and again, you know, kind of, uh, you know, relating to the hymns, then, we sing. Please turn to... Uh, uh, Roman numeral six in front of the hymnal, uh, and you know, I, I wanted to draw your attention to uh, you know to the various sections in the hymnal concerning the hymns themselves before we begin to look at any particular hymn. Uh, Roman numeral six, lowercase, so you have a V and, a, and an I. I mean, you'll, you'll notice right away that the hymns begin with the church here, right? So you have Advent and Christmas, Epiphany, uh, Transfiguration, which is in the time of Epiphany, the Sunday before uh, the season of Lent. We have uh, hymns for Holy Week, Easter, Ascension, Pentecost, Holy Trinity, End Times, and Feasts and Festivals. So that's where we'll get like All Saints Day, um, you know, um, and other wonderful hymns about uh, the apostles, for example, sometimes those will be sung, you know, during those specific days where, like, Timothy and Titus, or the apostle Paul, or Peter and John, James and John, and the like, um, those particular Sundays, feasts and festivals. And we have person and work of Christ, 
the Christian church. And you'll notice the word of God, holy baptism, baptismal life, confession, Lord's Supper, church, the church militant, the church triumphant. Uh, so we, we might sing a, a number of hymns with reference to the church militant and church triumphant, especially at the end of the year or at the beginning of the year, like in Advent, uh, depending on the, on, on, uh, on the text and the like. Uh, but also at funerals. These are, these are wonderful hymns for funerals, too. Uh, I know that my Redeemer lives, for example, based on uh, Job 19. As well, we have the Christian life, sanctification and trust. Uh, we have hymns on stewardship, too. And they're not just, guess what, about money. They're about everything uh, that the Christian uh, is given and by which he serves neighbor. Praise and adoration, mission and witness, society, uh, even marriage and the Christian home and education. Um, and then later on, on, on uh, uh, Roman numeral 7, uh, some other sections continually, times and seasons, the service, beginning, close, biblical canticles, and liturgical music. Um, and I, I think in, in Lutheran Service Builder, which is the, the computer program, or the DVD, uh, they have extra hymns too, you know, in there. So, uh, and, and these are uh, a number of the hymns that are in LSB. Um, we're also in, or have been in other hymnals too, especially, uh, notably, the Lutheran hymnal. And uh, if, if you remember anything from, from the Lutheran worship, or Lutheran worship, the blue hymnal, as it's sometimes referred to as, um, a number of the hymns from Lutheran worship that changed from the Lutheran hymnal in terms of wording went back to the wording from the Lutheran hymnal in LSB. Right? Um, so instead of, I am trusting you, Lord Jesus, do you remember that one from Lutheran worship? I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, trusting only thee. Uh, you know, so we kind of have the, the, uh, the King James English, you know, reintroduced there. Okay, um, but uh, let's see, discuss the relation of the hymn of the day. I know we're kind of running up on time. We started later though, right? Um, so... Uh, but the relation of the hymn of the day, uh, or the sermon hymn, to the gospel reading. And the reason why I, I, I had this in here, generally speaking, the gospel text is what many pastors preach on. Uh, but sometimes pastors might decide to preach on the epistle for different reasons. Maybe even the psalm um, for last Sunday, this Sunday, and then I think also next Sunday, uh, which is, well... The Sunday before Christmas already, right? Um, it's coming quick. Um, but uh, I think we're the, the the sermon texts are going to be from the Hebrew, or not from the Hebrew, from the Old Testament, I should say. Same difference. Yeah. Um, but uh, and and we also have that theme kind of going on uh, last Wednesday and this Wednesday, both from Genesis. Actually, next week the sermon text is going to be a kind of a dual text uh, with. Uh, 2 Samuel, and I think, um, is it 2 Samuel? I can't remember. Um, one of the texts is going to be 2 Samuel and I think Luke 1, but I can't remember where that is. Um, but uh, I, I think next Wednesday it's going to be from uh, Matthew 3, I think, which is the baptism of Jesus. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, for the next... Uh, you know, for, for a couple weeks during this Advent season, um, the Old Testament reading has served 
and is serving as the is serving as the sermon text, not the gospel. Uh, but the hymns, of course, will reflect that in some way, shape, or form. Okay, um, so the, the hymn of the day, you know, is, is, is to draw attention to the gospel reading or to the sermon text, the text that is used. And uh, I wanted to draw your attention to uh, uh, this past Sundays. Now, we, we, could, uh, we could look at any one of those hymns. Comfort, comfort ye my people on Jordan's bank, the Baptist cry, or hark the glad sound. Um, and I, I don't know, does anyone have any interest in the time remaining? Um, I think uh, on Jordan's bank, the Baptist cry was the sermon hymn from this past Sunday. Comfort, comfort ye my people is that was the, first the opening hymn. hymn. The opening hymn. Let's look at that one. Yes. Who picks this, the hymn of the day? Do you pick that? In other words, does every congregation have a different hymn of the day, or is it come? It, it depends center? on what source they're using. I'm sorry. It depends on the source they're using. I, I forget what it's called. Um, I haven't looked at the title of late. I use it quite often, though. Um, it's a it's it's a uh, a binder, or it's not a binder, but it's 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 got the. We use we, we have something like that that we use for uh, you know for the for the yearbook and uh, and other things. It's kind of got a wire thing so you can open it and it lays flat. Um, but it, it's it's got a selection of hymns in there, you know, for the Old Testament epistle and then gospel. It also has uh, usually a selected hymn for the hymn of the day. Um, much depends on the text. And as I was explaining a little bit earlier, there's an index in the back of this resource. Um, and you could look up uh, the, the biblical reference, and it'll give you, you know, hymns that might relate to that particular biblical reference. Um, so sometimes, at least for me, um, and, and for, for this congregation, generally speaking, I, I, I stick with the hymn of the day as chosen, if it's singable. <laughs> that would be one thing. Um, and then uh, also, if, if it... Uh, if it correlates better with the biblical reference that I'm using for the sermon text compared to another hymn. Because some hymns like the Tree of Life, we didn't sing that. We sang it for an office hymn, I think, last Wednesday service, right? Or the Wednesday before. Tree of Life. Um, and the text was from Genesis 3. Yeah. Okay. You know, so um, that, that fit, right? Um, but sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes the hymn of the day as selected by the committee or whoever did this doesn't always match specifically with, you know, the gospel reading. Um, it, it, it relates, but it might not be as clear. So another one is, uh, you know, seek ye first the righteousness of God. Seek ye first. There is actually a hymn, you know, in the hymnal, seek ye first from Matthew 6. Well, if one is preaching on Matthew 6, that might be a good sermon hymn to use. You know, in terms of, you know, the, the relation. So, comfort, comfort ye my people. Of course, these are the words of, uh, of God, um, you know, that the prophets were to speak. John the Baptist primarily, but also the other prophets spoke this too. If you look in the lower right-hand corner of the hymn, you have a reference there, Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 8. So, this hymn is based off of Psalm, or Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 8. So uh, 
you know, comfort those who sit in darkness. Verse 1, mourning neath their sorrows load. Speak ye to Jerusalem of the peace that waits for them. Tell her that her sins I cover. Iniquity is pardoned, and her warfare now is over. You know, and, and uh, verse 4, or actually verse 3, Hark the herald's voice is crying in the desert far and near, calling sinners to repentance since the kingdom now is here. Of course, that's a reference to John the Baptist and his preaching, right? He preached uh, the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus uh, said, spoke similarly. And prior to that, he also says, repent. Oh, that morning cry, obey. Now prepare for God a way. Let the valleys rise to meet him and the hills bow down to greet him. You know, so I, the, the words, you know, correspond with, of course, Isaiah 40 and the text therein. You know, some some uh, you know some texts will do that, or some hymns will do this more clearly, I think, than others. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, the, the hymns uh, you know state what God Himself had made known.